0: Get Up Nation. My name is Ben Biddick. I am the creator and host of the Get Up Nation podcast, where I serve individuals, organizations, and societies to develop and sustain resilience and perseverance. I'm the co-author of Get Up, The Art of Perseverance, with former Major League Baseball player Adam Greenberg. The Get Up Nation podcast is brought to you in partnership with GotYourSixCoffee.com, where Navy veteran Eric Hadley is committed to serving first responders, veterans, and their families through a variety of nonprofit organizations. No stranger to adversity, Eric has fused necessity of coffee with his passion for public service. You're already purchasing coffee. Why not empower your coffee with purpose? Why not purchase coffee that not only has your six, but also has the backs of those who don a uniform of service for our communities and great country. Learn more about Eric and his freshly roasted, award-winning coffee at GotYourSixCoffee.com. Recently, I had the honor and privilege of speaking with Dr. Jeffrey McGee. Dr. McGee is a global talent development expert, a leadership and management strategist, and best-selling author. If you're looking for credentials, Dr. McGee has them. He's a certified management consultant, certified board executive, certified professional direct marketer, and certified speaking professional. He has been recognized as one of the 10 outstanding young Americans by the US Junior Chamber of Commerce, twice selected to represent the United States at the World Congress as a leadership speaker in Cannes, France, and Vienna, Austria, uh, three term president of the Oklahoma and Las Vegas chapters of National Speakers Association, and an SBA Entrepreneur of the Year. He has also been honored for his tremendous commitment to service. Dr. McGee served for four years as an appointed civil service commissioner judge for the city of Tulsa, Oklahoma, before merging his firm for a short time in 2010 with Western CPE. The United States Army, National Guard, and President George Bush recognized him with the high honor of the Total Team Victory Award citation for civilian contribution to leadership development with the National Guard. Basically, I can't fit all the amazing achievements Dr. McGee has accomplished into this intro. So go to JeffreyMcGee.com to learn more about the countless ways that Dr. McGee can help you and your organization succeed.
1: Dr. McGee, I'm honored to welcome you to Get Up Nation. Thank you, Ben. I appreciate it. I'm actually uh, honored to be with you and your followers. So thank you for this opportunity to share ideas and, uh, and just have some fun. Yeah, absolutely.
0: First, I just want to ask, how you, how's your day going, and uh, what challenges do you plan on tackling today?
1: Great question. So, I'm in uh, Las Vegas, Nevada, as we record this, and on this uh, morning, it's another beautiful blue sky day in Vegas. I never thought I'd ever end up living in the desert, and being a Colorado boy, transition Oklahoma, and then uh, Montana, but I have absolutely loved living here. So, weather for the day is starting good, which again, that calibrates all of our attitude and mindset. That's why I actually said that we talk about get up nation. It always starts with, you know, what are the first collective thoughts you have when you wake up in the morning and what calibrates your attitude and mindset? And what do you see if it's raining outside or, or it's sun shining outside, how do you see that? Cause it sets your day. So it's going great. But my day started at 5.00 AM with a, uh, with a web zoom call with a client in London, England. Then I had a six o'clock call with uh, the military leadership in uh, the state of Delaware with the Delaware national guard. I just jumped off of that. and Now I get to share some time with you on this podcast. So my morning is uh, already three hours in and it's going great. Excellent. Excellent. And I know you're extremely busy. You do amazing
0: work. You help people succeed everywhere you turn around. Uh, so I'm really happy that you've taken time for this show uh, to help the people in my audience who are dealing with significant and severe challenges to be encouraged and uh, inspired by what your expertise and your experience Um, there are many things we could talk about today to draw from your wealth of experience. So I'd like to focus on the why within you that's created this tremendous volume of achievement and accomplishment. Will you share a little bit about what life was like for you growing up and what led to your deep commitment to helping people and organizations succeed?
1: That's a great question. First of all, (laughs) just pause. So for all of your listeners and viewers, that is a great question what shapes your why, and then frame that around growing up. I mean, we could go so many directions like that. And 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 I'm supposed to be the psychologist. You want to be now the therapist. I love this. Heck, that'll get you a good 50-minute session on the couch right there. Just take some notes. Say, I'll see you next week. Boom, run the credit card. You're good to go forever. I love it. You know, so the first answer on that one, Ben, is obviously, you know, some people would take that question, and they would go down the trajectory of woe is me and how bad their life was others would take that question and go down the trajectory of how great their life is it doesn't matter whether your answer starts with telling me about your background and growing up whether it's good or bad you know the classic line that i always use in the mirror i use with my clients and i think is a good shock wake-up call for all of us today is it doesn't matter about yesterday because whatever it is it is everyone that spends time money and energy trying to change history beyond the fact that they're just frickin' idiots. And sorry if I upset you right out of the gate, but I'm kind of a blunt guy, and I think that's what we need. We need not disrespect, but we need bluntness. People need to be smacked upside the head occasionally, you know, whether it's the old self V8, wow, I could have done that myself, or someone saying, look, you knucklehead, quit doing that. And then if you keep doing it, I'm, you are gonna get in trouble. And that's part of the problem of, of where we are today is people are, are carrying too much luggage. So I grew up, in essence, in a large family, I'm um, in Colorado, my father's retired military, I have older brothers and sisters, younger brother, sister. Uh, and from that, basically life is what it is. I didn't realize that you know, we were you know economically not well off growing up. I never really realized that because our parents always provided the basics of what we needed. We knew we weren't rich. I mean, you don't have to be very smart to figure that out when you look around. Uh, but with that, we were rich in lots of other ways. And some of those ways were my other siblings painted a path for me growing up that if you want something get off your butt and do it you know achieve greater excellence academically you know if you are capable of getting a's in math and science then you should get a's if you're capable of getting b's and c's in english then you better get b's and c's i mean not everyone's an a student Uh, again not everyone's going to be a super athlete you know my older brothers were you know musicians and athletes in school my sister was highly involved in different things again at her age in the 60s as they would say but you know again growing up painted a path of resiliency, one of the elements you talk about in Get Up Nation. It painted a path of diversity is not whether your skin is black or white. I am so disgusted and sick with the idiots on this planet that go, woe is me because I'm white, I'm black, I'm Hispanic, I'm Asian, whatever. None of us chose this body we're in right now. God just said, boom, you get this one, what are you going to make out of it? And I'm going to take that to your second question. You know, No one chose to be male, female, short, tall, fat, skinny, you know, what have you but again your background does set your trajectory yes second to that you know the why is again what do you do with the gifts that you were given whether those gifts are great or those gifts are limited what do you do with them? whether your time on this planet is short or your time on this planet is long what do you do with that and so part of the driving of the why is the word legacy legacy So think of it this way. So so one of the phrasing and ideas I use when I work with audiences and groups, I'm standing on stages, whether it's thousands of people out there or 12 people out there, sometimes I will use a story of a time machine to kind of answer that where have you been, where are you going to calibrate your mind to be more successful. I've been doing this one for 30 years. So, uh, again, simply this, you're a time machine. Look at where you're standing. That's present tense. In front of you is future tense and behind you is past tense. So if you're a time machine and you're in a time machine vehicle, then imagine everything in front of you is space. So Ben, let me have you do this with me so you and I will represent this for our viewers. Sure. So if you were in your time machine right now and you're holding on to your steering wheel, it's going to guide where you're going to go. And you keep your left hand on that wheel, but if you were to let go with your right hand and reach kind of up in front of you to this windshield that's in front of you, what typically is right about there on the windshield? Mirror. Being that rearview mirror, so reach up there and grab that and get a good grip on it for a second. On three, I want you to rip it off that that windshield. One, two, three, rip it off. Toss it out the window. Get rid of it. <laughs> That's a huge answer to get up nation right there. Because here's the element. we still have an outside rearview mirror over there, so we can look behind us for benchmarking, lessons learned, be aware of what's going on back there. But if you're accelerating forward in life and being successful, you're never looking at this who's coming up on you because no one's ever going to catch you. Yeah. See so again, the only ones that are going to pass you is when you're being, in essence, complacent or lazy or pathetic or worthless, not doing something. That's what's passing you by in life. So again, now we've removed that rearview mirror up there for a reason. If you think about successful people, 100% of what's in front of you represents the future. You don't spend time being distracted by that little 10% up there of the rearview mirror, worrying about what happened in the past or didn't happen to me, and I was raised bad or I didn't have these other options, etc. You study any successful person; they live in the windshield of life. So part of, in essence, looking at things is the word legacy. So now back to my why. So a little bit of your question and answer of tell me about the background. Yep. Didn't talk about what my studies were. Didn't talk about my academics. Didn't talk about if I went to college, et cetera. Because, yeah, that's important, but that's another question. So part of what drives me, though, is legacy. What I recognized as a passion growing up to be a journalist, and before I went to college, I'd already had hundreds of articles published in a major daily newspaper in Colorado Springs, Colorado, where I lived. And in college, I went there on a journalism scholarship and a cross country scholarship. So pseudo athlete, I guess. And then for a couple of years, I spent time doing broadcast and print news in Kansas city after college. And one day I just recognized journalism is a very negative, bitter, caustic, self-serving industry. There are some exceptions. I'm still looking for a couple of them, but most everyone in journalism is just just as if they couldn't get any other job on the planet. So let me be a journalist and just beat people up and always be bitter and negative. And that's not my DNA. So I left it cold one day. And if you're ever unemployed, there's always one job in America. And even today, right now in this time of pandemic and COVID and what's going on and the horrific number of unemployed people in the nation, there's still our jobs today called sales. If you can sell, there's always gonna be a job for you. I went into sales and that led me over the past 25 years where I am now owning a training company and having sold the training company and magazines. And so I'm now back into publishing. So for 25 years, I publish a magazine where I go out and I get phenomenal personalities. To write articles for me. The last three presidents have written for me world leaders, celebrities, athletes, champions. Uh, Sir Richard Branson's written for my magazine off and on many times over 20 years. We've done three books together. So, my why is legacy. I've now used the word legacy probably seven times. Legacy meaning there's a great poem called The Dash. I challenge all of your viewers to download The Dash. My mind is just blanked on the young lady that wrote it. But the dash really does calibrate your question of why we do what we do. And the dash simply says this, you go to a cemetery and you look at any one of the headstones and there's a date upon which they arrived and a date upon which they graduated and left. And those dates mean nothing. It's the dash in between. What did you do with your dash? So legacy is if being, if you go to sleep tonight, because I, 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 I want no ill will to you, but if you go to sleep tonight and you just pass away in your sleep, which is a great way to go, and you don't wake up tomorrow, then what you do today is your legacy. See, no one watching or listening to us right now have any guarantee that they're going to get tomorrow. None. So what do you do with your today? So if you're a parent, what are you doing to grow and develop a better child today than you had yesterday so they're more equipped for the planet tomorrow if you cease to exist? See, lots of parents, they took time to create the child, but they completely abdicate the responsibility of growing a great adult for the planet. Or if you're a teacher, what are you doing today virtually or live to make your students better today than they were yesterday? So if you're not here tomorrow, they're equipped for tomorrow. And there's some teachers that do a great job, just like there's some parents that do a great job. But there's some teachers that they are so exhausted or burned out and they're just going through the motions. Or you and I, what do we do for our clients? So this morning, again, if I go back to one of my clients I'm talking with on the phone or doing Zoom calls, that that's the big way we connect today. And I've been doing that for many years, nothing new. It's how do I help serve them so that if I interact with them, they're better off for that interaction. And knowing what their needs are, that if their needs are not how I can help them, they'll be better off by not interacting with me. That's the other element. Again, if you're a super successful person in your own space, you know the people horizontally left and right of you that are better at other things than you are and you always are helping your client to access you and them so that we all go up together. So those are some of my responses to a little bit of my background and and what drives me. It's about helping people to look at themselves as capital on this planet, thus human capital. And I've been using the phrase and name and title human capital developer for over 20 years, way before it became fashionable for anyone else to even start using that word. That's what I talk about in my management books, leadership books, sales books, and self-development books.
0: Love that. And you talked about how early on you understood the the value of a strong work ethic. You were raised on a farm. It's from what I've read. Uh, What were those experiences like for you? I, I mean, I regularly speak with Midwestern farmers who are facing unprecedented challenges and struggling to keep their farms profitable. What lessons or experiences happened in those rural environments for you, in agricultural communities that that set these people up uh, for success, whether it's on a farm or in a different industry if they have to make a pivot? What are some of those core principles that that you understood early that that helped your trajectory be what it is?
1: It's a great question. So for our viewers today, if you're not, familiar, Ben lives in Wisconsin, so kind of a, a Midwest or upper Midwest state, a lot of agri in Wisconsin, um, along with a lot of winter and snow, and uh, and football, and other great businesses as well. Harley Davidson, one of my clients for many, many years, beer, Milwaukee beer, again, a lot of a lot of uh, business. I say that to give a per- point of perspective for, for for you, I, and our viewers today. Yep. You know, part of what I would share about that Agra belt, and it doesn't necessarily mean if you're not Agra, this is not you. But if you're Agra, your norm, your reality is that if you grew up on any kind of a farm, whether it was a, was a production farm of grain, uh, whether it's a production farm of livestock, whether it's a production farm, or you were, in essence, uh, you had a small farm operation, then your norm is as a child, so Ben, you and I are brothers, no matter what our age is, when you're basically old enough to be able to walk and do something, you're involved in that farm. You know, go get the rake, you know, go get the shovel, you know, bring me that bucket, open up that fence, you stand here and, and don't let the cow go this direction sort of thing. I mean, That's a norm. I mean, I've got pictures in my head of my immediately older brother um, in elementary school. He had, you know, a, a, a calf that part of his, you know, agri-project, a little, you know, bull to be. And um, I remember him headbutting the bull. I remember him trying to get up on top and ride the bull. I mean, so those silly examples. But I also remember, you know, winter days zero degrees and and going out and helping my older brothers or mom and dad, um, you know, with the sows, the hogs, the pigs, you know, in the in the barn where one was giving birth to little piglets, babies and it's zero degrees and you got the heat lamps on so they don't freeze and stuff. And, you know, you know, doing those things and, and and cleaning out the chicken coop and, you know, shoveling out all that chicken crap and et cetera. And so I share that story because that's important to where I'm going with your answer. And nowhere in there at that early age did I have an understanding or an expectation of the word allowance. Nowhere in there was I expecting to be paid to do those things. I mean, cleaning the house and keeping my bedroom picked up and doing my you know, chores or duties or whatever. Nowhere in there was I expecting to be paid for that. You know, so it's interesting. Some kids grow up with it. You know, if you keep your room clean, you'll get paid. It's like, what are you freaking kidding me? Seriously? <laughs> so, but, but both of those calibrate our mind as to who we are. So part of what I recognize when I work with agri-individuals and military individuals is there's some shared DNA with them more often than it is a shared DNA with anyone else on the planet and any other lifestyles, you know, demographic uh, environment. And that is when you're in an agri-environment, work ethic is strong. It's just who you are. It's your DNA. You don't bitch, you just do it. Um, When you're in an agri-environment, you also understand structures and processes and procedures and doing things. Um, and, and you might be tired, it might be late in the afternoon or evening, but there's certain things you still have to clean up and do things the right way. So it's set for the next time you come back. So you, so you just, you fall into that work ethic and attitude and passion and et cetera. So because of that, typically, again, you ask the question about agri Midwest specifically. Those people typically are much more resilient and that's a key word for everyone on the planet to be familiar with. I know with your military background, many years in the active army, that the resiliency is a part of it. Your ability to bounce back, resiliency, your ability to be in shape to do the job you're supposed to be doing, resiliency, your ability to be, you know, physically tough, mental tough to deal with some of those hurdles that come at us in life that are going to happen. And it doesn't make the hurdles right, wrong, good, bad. it doesn't mean you can't be empathetic to what's going on. But again, put your adult pants on and how about you act like one for a change. Majority of all of our problems on the planet are self-made. Therefore they can be self fixed, but we spend so much time building up our own illusion, or rewriting our own revisionist history to what we think is reality. And, again, that's the problem with journalists. Journalists are really good at straight-out, bold lying, and there's nothing there to hold them accountable anymore. I mean, it used to be you'd have a news director or producer that would – no, you're not saying that on the air. You're not writing that in a paper because it's not true. Or wait a minute, you're about to report this. I mean, in journalism school, I remember being taught that if I'm going to interview Ben and Ben gives me this great juicy nugget I want to write on, that's fine. But I got to go find at least two other people that don't know Ben that can corroborate and validate that little nugget I got from Ben. And if I can't get at least two other people, I'm not putting it out there. I mean, today it's stunning. Journalists write stuff out of a whole cloth lies and they they put it out there as truth and most people are so oblivious and ignorant to facts they may not be dumb people but they're ignorant to facts they have no clue what they're eating and swallowing and then when it's then when it's revealed that what they were told and led down the road to believe is true is completely false it's it's like no one no one even cares to go wait a minute i still can like ben but ben i don't appreciate that you misled me for three years on something you said that was happening with our federal leaders it turns out to be a lie that's not true if i wouldn't let you i wouldn't let you bully my kid I wouldn't let you bully me, but we do that. And it's on both political sides anymore. It's crazy. And so that's another element to your question of, again, in the Midwest, people have work ethics. So they're willing to get off the butt and do things. So they will be resilient, but they may need to change how they do what they do. And I think for the regular worker bees on this planet that have been working virtually for the past 60 days, as the day we're recording this, most of the planet's been on lockdown and virtual work and stay home orders. A lot of employers and a lot of my clients that are, you know, half, half a billion to $6,79, $10 billion in size companies, part of what they are just now starting to get their head around, sadly, they're that far behind. My clients, I've been pushing them on day one. I said, keep in mind, you send people home to work and they're productive, worst case scenario. They're just as productive as they were before they went home. When you say now it's time to come back, you be ready for the virtual rebellion because people are going to say, wait a minute, if we were working virtually. Why do I need to be in the office? And you may have realized that actually if people do have self-accountability, which goes back to the agri-DNA, and good work ethic, which goes back to the agri-DNA, which is why I use that, then you know what? You can trust them to work at home and be successful, and you may have now just cut down a whole lot of your costs. You may not need as much office space anymore, new buildings, et cetera. Right. The challenge, though, is just like you and I are doing this virtually right now from your home studio, my home office as well, is that if people are going to then work virtually, they need to make sure that what they show in the background when they're talking to clients shows the right image. And if they don't have distractions to show that they're not in essence still wearing a professional hat. Yeah, it's cute you're working from home and have kids. You know what? Um, kids are not behind me or you. So let's put on the adult pants for a second. Talk to your eight-year-old child and say, look, mom and dad has to go on a video call at work right now, so here's what I need you to do. And if you've raised your child to have discipline, guess what? They're not going to be making faces in the background and running around because you've raised them. See, I say the opposite of what everyone else does. You know, the parent goes, oh, my God, my life is terrible. I'm having a hard time working my kids' home. You know what? You're a worthless parent. Shut up. See, there's the shock therapy. If you were worth the crap as a parent, then having your kids at home for last week wouldn't have been a challenge because you would have been educating them the same way you're working. You would schedule some time. So some of these things I'm reading on social media, I shake my head going, you know what, this is pathetic. You've been parking your kids at K-12 all day long as babysitters because if you were engaged with them, you would have been doing homework or activities or athletics or science, et cetera, you know, at home and on the weekends as well, growing them and growing you. A little bit of a tirade, but it comes to the heart of answering your question.
0: Sure, absolutely, and that's you know it, you had you had your first business at age fifteen. You sold it before you went to college. Um, by age twenty four, you're recognized by American Home Products, a Fortune five hundred company, as its top salesman in the nation. While at the same time, becoming the youngest certified sales instructor for the Dale Carnegie Sales Course, um, so you have grown and grown and grown through all of your experiences. You've developed profound professional mastery, um, and many have. Will you share a little bit about that mindset that you have, like that the, you've talked about in your book, uh, in your multiple books, you've written over 20 of them, but uh, getting that trajectory set towards uh, excellence, getting that 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 path as you start engaging in the workforce um, set on, on the trajectory that you that you want. Will you share a little bit about at how you did that as a young man, getting into to where you are now?
1: Great question. So, you know, you just referenced, you know, your trajectory code. You can go to my website at Barnes and Noble and order a copy. It's the only personal success book I've ever written. Unlike a lot of people that are great at self-marketing, you know, buy my you know success whatever's. And truth be told, most of them are destitute. What's important is how you get from where you are to where you want to go. So here's the first part of the answer: Where am I now? And where do I want to go? So early on, it just was always about achieving. Later in life, I started getting older and educated and having great mentors, and I became a better student of just observing other people, whether it meant reading or watching or listening, and now we have the internet, so it makes education even easier. Because you can Google anyone you want to study and there's all kinds of videos and YouTubes and articles and etc. So growing one's mind share is very easy today. And so again, for every hour of just traditional television or or Internet TV, uh, satellite TV that a person watches on just a regular whatever show, I tell people for every one hour of that, you should watch at least 10 to 20 hours of real education because again, you know, live PD is fun, you know, uh, you know, cage match wrestling, you know, UFC is fun, uh, monster mash, you know, crash them up trucks is great. But all of that stuff does is blow up your brain and take away your IQ. So every time you suck some brains out, you got to put twice as much back in. Mm-hmm. So Benjamin Franklin had a classic line. The person who empties their purse money, person who empties their purse into their head will never be bankrupt. So think about how many nonfiction books do you read a day, a week, a month? How many biographies or autobiographies do you read a day, a week, or month? How many, in essence, um, evergreen, uh, fact-based, content-rich articles, blogs, vlogs, white papers, research papers do you read on a daily, weekly, monthly basis? How many magazines do you subscribe to that just have articles about phenomenally successful people on them where they're not being interviewed from a traditional Featurey story, because who gives a crap what your favorite color is? Barbara Walters, are you serious? What's your favorite tree if you could be a tree? I mean, <laughs> could you ask a more asinite question if you're not going to correlate that to something? You know, so I don't do that. Whenever I do an interview, it's about success. How did you get there? The very questions you're asking, because that's how we grow. So early on, I started doing these things, and later in life, I realized you have to put some models around it. If you want to repeat great behaviors, your brain has to understand the process. So we give processes name. There's a little child, if you're tying your shoes, telling the child to tie their shoes. If they don't know what that means, it's confusing. Well, what do you mean, dad tie my shoes or mom tie my shoes? So you sit down and say, when you tie your shoes, you take the two strings up, you do this over like that. Does That makes sense, yes, a little bow here, wrap that around, boom, tie it down and you're done. And once you show them the behavior, the act, the process, and it makes sense, you give it a name so your brain now knows what that is, tying your shoe Oh, That means I do this. So same thing, make my bed. Well, what does that mean? If make my bed means I just grab everything and toss it to the top and no one ever corrects me, then when you say make your bed, that's what the kid does, and then 20 years later, we're still doing it. If make your bed means, ah, let's go back and have a bad flashback to you in the Army. So boot camp, you know, making your bed at boot camp takes on a whole new meaning, doesn't it? I mean, square mm-hmm. edges, things are pulled up, perfect alignment, pop the coin, does it bounce. <laughs> I mean, so again, if that's how you're trained, then 20 years later, you're still squaring the edges and pulling it up tight, making the bed. So later in life, I realized, oh, success is about understanding behaviors, processes, systems. You know, how do you get from where you are to where you want to be? But then you put a name on that. You put a name on that. So in trajectory code, if you were to go buy the book as a viewer right now of our program, and again, you can buy the audio book. You can buy, in essence, the digital book. You can buy, in essence, the hard book. If you just read the first five chapters, it will massively change where you're going in life. Massive. Guaranteed promise. You can use those models for personal success development, pivoting and changing, you talk about right now with a tough economy or any job or retirement. You can use it to mentor and develop a child, a coworker, a colleague. You can use it in in management in a zillion ways. But I'll give you one specific nugget from the book, and here's, in essence, a million-dollar answer to your question. So imagine I have a thumbtack, and I put it right here on the wall, everybody. Two threads, different colors, doesn't matter the color, two threads are hanging straight down. If I have a thumbtack on a wall and I tack one of the threads up to the left and one up to the right, then there's a period of time where those two threads leave the thumbtack. There's a period of time that they're both going to look like they're one on top of the other. Does that make sense? That is what success is all about. Understanding successful people are not necessarily making some major life change. So Ben asked the questions Now everyone gets a free workshop. So a represents a starting point. That's a thumbtack on a wall, two threads. One's going to B, one's going to C. And as they immediately leave A, those two threads are somewhat one on top of the other. And there's that little circle right there above the A. That circle is what success is all about because what that circle represents is this. I call it the 1% factor, the 1% factor. Meaning, as soon as you start to do anything, you're at A, that starting point. I'm about ready to hit send on this email to Ben, but before I send it, I'm going to reread it. That's an A, that's in that circle, that 1% zone. Because successful people can recognize that whenever they start to do something, they do a time continuum exercise. I'm about to say this. So if I say this and I go out over the time continuum, seconds, minutes, hours, days, weeks, months, quarter, year, decade, doesn't matter if I do this and I extrapolate outward, is it going to take me towards success? Because if so, then say it with more gusto. But if I'm getting ready to say this and I extrapolate that and realize, you know what, this may get me in trouble, that's the wrong trajectory, I can recalibrate a simple 1% change in mindset. A simple 1% change in behavior is easy, and any one of us can do that. Sitting down to eat a meal at a restaurant and realizing this looks gorgeous, it smells good, looks good, oh my gosh, it's plated beautifully, this restaurant did a phenomenal job. And you start to eat it, and you go, you know what, truth be told, there's two meals in front of me, not one. And as soon as that waiter comes over and asks, hey, how's that first bite, you know what, Ben, not only is the first bite, great, but do me a favor, Ben, I need you right now, I need you right now to go get me, in essence, a, 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 a take-home little basket or, or a, a little, you know, case or a little whatever, I want to put half of this to take home. And the waiter's going to look at you weird like, what? And you go, see, it little 1%. If I take half on my plate now and put it in my to-go box and set that aside and then enjoy this other half, I'm actually eating probably the right proportion of food instead of gorging and eating it all. So if my objective in that story was I'm trying to stay in shape or lose some weight, simple little 1% would be as soon as it shows up and you realize there's a ton there, break it down right now versus eating it all basically is what you'll do if you keep it, and then going home and going, oh, my God, I'm trying to lose weight and I just ate five meals. So 1%. So now if we take those two lines, now let's go next step. So A stands for activating event. There's a model in psychology we use called the ABC model of human behavior. Everyone needs to pay attention. ABC model of human behavior talks about the reality of what you're doing right now, watching us and what you're going to do the rest of today in your life. So A is activating event. There's always going to be an A. You wake up on time or not. It's an A. Your alarm clock works, doesn't work. It's an A. You, know, you get that email. It's an A. You're going to respond. And so we live in an endless universe of A's. they are always coming onto your radar. So when an A happens activating event, A plus B equals C, because that model, remember, had A, B, C. So the line that goes from the A up to the left is a finite line, and it is going to be labeled B, which stands for behavior. It's a finite line because also that line to the left also represents derailment and failure, which is where more than 56% of the world lives. Gallup research recently found that 56% of Americans are complacent, disengaged, and just kind of going through the motions. They live on the left trajectory. 15% of Americans are actively disengaged and bitch for a living. So they really live on the left, derailment. 29% of Americans go to the right. So A is activating event. B is behavior. C, C stands for consequence, consequence, outcome, consequence. So I put a different word on C. So the different word for B, finite line, is derailment, failure. A different word for C, because that line goes out into infinity, I call it success, success. So again, if I want to become more successful, back to your question, I did all these things in an early life, then through my younger years of life, how is it that I figured that out? Well, in the early days, I didn't know. I just did things. Growing up on the farm, if you wanted something done, you did it, or you helped out someone else do it, or you asked for help. You just did it. As you get older, sometimes you may not have everyone around you that can help you. So what can you do? You do it. So the trajectory code model, as I wrap this up to answer your question on the last part, that's my model for everything I do in life. Whatever it is I want to do, that's a C. It's a goal. So line C represents consequence line C represents goals line C represents the word aspiration line C represents success. Every time you want to do something, you come back to that circle there in the middle at the bottom and you say, okay, for me to do whatever it is that Ben just asked me to do as my boss, as my supervisor, as my friend, for me to get from a to C, then that circle right there represents the 1% factor. I may realize, do I need more knowledge, more skill, more training, or do I need a mentor, an advisor, a coach. And successful people are faster at identifying their needs and getting it. Successful people are faster identifying their strengths and they leverage it. And successful people are faster at realizing what their gaps and weaknesses are. And if they can, they avoid it by getting someone else to step in and fill those gaps. Those are huge million-dollar answers to your question.
0: Amazing. Amazing. Yeah. And uh, some have asserted, so largely we talk about a lot when people experience adversity. They experience something that isn't comfortable that, that causes them some discomfort or uh, pain or or, or a, a disease, an injury, whatever it may be, something comes down the line and we experience that. We have a choice to ch- in how we respond to that. And I wanted to just dig in a little bit to your insights into you know, the concept of purpose and meaning. it's uh, Emily Smith came out of the book, The Power of Meaning, recently. And in the information age with so many products and services that are readily available, how do you really tap into the type of experience of purpose and meaning that brings that profound satisfaction to the work that you do.
1: Great question. So what Emily did was she, she wrote a book and she took a page from psychology. You know, one of the models that that I use in my leadership programs and in coaching with working with executives, business owners is a model called identity purpose statement. So if our viewers write that down, identity purpose statement, The more you know about a person's identity purpose statement will help you to understand how you can align with them or not align. The more you know about someone's identity purpose statement gives you insights as to how to engage someone that you may realize you have to engage, even though you have disdain for them. So how do you engage, be civil, and get the hell out of there? Um, The more you know about a person's identity statement, identity purpose statements, also gives you tremendous insights as to how they think, which is a part of your question, and why they hold the beliefs that they hold, which is a part of your question. So if I want to create change in them, I'll know how long that road's going to be that I'm going to have to go down to make that change with them. So identity represents two words. So if I'm looking at Ben as I role play for our viewers, the more I know about your identity, Ben, I'm going to have a better understanding. And it doesn't make your identity right wrong good bad it's back to my opening statement it is what it is you can't change freaking history folks shut up you can make future decisions mindful of the past to not repeat it absolutely you can make future decisions not to make up for the past but to maybe give people opportunities in the future if they want to get off their lazy butt and do something but you can't you know change the past all you do is create a future problem so so in going down that pathway to answer identity deals with what so the more i know about benjamin's identity what you value what you'll tolerate what you like what you stand for or the opposites what you won't tolerate what you don't care about what you care less about what you won't you know stand for so identity is a snapshot of your what factors and then the other word for identity is who who it's, it's who you want to project to the world that this is who you are so that's kind of like you know and in social media marketing today, that's your brand, basically. There's your brand. You know, so again, when Emily talked about all these products and services, it's their brand. This is what we are about, it's what we do, and this is who we are, etc. So, identity is one half of who you are. Identity, purpose, statement. Purpose is where Emily came in. Purpose is the drivers behind your identity. So the purpose is the whys, it's the drivers, it's the motivators, it's the passion, it's the reason you hold those identity statements we just talked about. So that's where it's coming from. And so I do believe in it absolutely. And it does drive who you are. And seldom, once your identity is pretty well-fashioned, it's not impossible to change it, but it's pretty hard. You have to have typically a major self-awakening to truly change inside your identity which then will change your driver so why i always thought this is because and if all of a sudden those why's start to change it may cause me to question my identity and then that may cause me to say wait a second no i'm not changing my identity so i'm going to double down on looking at Different wise and better wise, and I might eliminate people from my life that are the wrong wise. I might eliminate situations and things. I might quit my job. I mean, a lot of people are unemployed right now as we're recording this. I mean, we really are living. If you take your your political views and just park your stupidity to the side and look at facts, we're living in a phenomenal 24 month window in American history. Right. We've just went over the past four years from having facts statistically, the highest crime and poverty in our country's history, the highest unemployment in any category you want to create. So I'm not even gonna make the list because a lot of your your viewers are gonna know the list, whether they they like what I'm saying or not. They know the list. We've had the highest unemployment everywhere. We had, in essence, the most amount of um, foreclosures on homes, delinquency in homes, um, vacant homes, you know, low construction starts. I mean, if you look at one market indicator, um, et cetera. That's where we were 4 years ago. Today, before COVID, we not only did we, did we change all of those negative indicators, which is stunning, and took it to zero, that in the business world is a major growth. We then went to positive. We had the highest employment. In any of those categories you look at, you know, you know women, um, age, um, ethnicities, uh, generational, whatever, we had the highest employment in every one of those categories. And every one of the other indicators of a good society were all going down. Maybe they weren't fixed, they weren't great, but they were all going down from negative to zero to make them positive. So it's amazing. To where we are today, because of COVID, and again, fact, fiction, whatever your views are, should we have shut down the planet or not, or et cetera, to having the highest unemployment in our nation's history. Wow. The most amount of people without job back to your question earlier about Agra in the Midwest, I've got a client right there in Wisconsin. Mm -hmm. Then in essence is 400% of revenue to where they were five months ago. So COVID has not been bad for them. It's actually, their business has grown. Right. and there's others that are going now I mean, look out my window here in las vegas and just think about all the businesses that are shuttered and some of them they had no choice because our governor who's never had a job in his life he's never signed the front of a payroll check so all he understands is basically welfare mentality because if you work for the government no disrespect if you're a public servant and you actually are serving the public i love you but if you're a public servant if you think about it that's really the same thing as someone on a welfare check it's hard-working americans that our tax, their money goes into this pool of money that then is distributed to different areas in the government and some goes to people that are unemployed welfare check and some go to government workers that's the same money it's coming out of my pocket to pay you so you better be busting your butt every day back to your common legacy so here's how you fix unemployment in this country if we're going to be giving unemployment checks to everyone and even with covid here's what our government did wrong they should say you know what you want to get your your your, your you know your your payroll protection check Here's the deal. Virtually, now, since you got to sign in because we can't go to the unemployment office. You're going to sign in and clock in every morning. You're going to go do something in your community to get that free money the government just gave you. So Ben, you and Jeff and five others can go to the local elementary school and you can easily keep six feet uh, apart from you. And we're going to have some shovels and brooms and rakes and you're going to police the grounds. You know, again, we're going to take that big basketball court and, you know, we're going to paint the map of the United States on the basketball court. So kids can see all 50 states and learn about those states. So you can do that. And then you're good at talking about X, Y, and Z. So you're going to hold a virtual class one hour every day. So all the kids can in essence sign in. If they don't have a computer, we'll figure out a way to get them on the phone or a computer. See, so again, we have another group. You're going to go to the old folks' home. And, again, maybe we can't let you go in it for reasons, but you can clean the outside. So if I backed this up five months ago, that's what our country should be doing with welfare. Unless you physically can't get off your butt and move, you want to get an unemployment check. You've got to do something every day. Here's some bags. You go pick up trash on the highway. You go to the old folks' home and go in and talk with someone. You can play the piano and you're six years of age and retired. I mean, I mean, why should that be the person who goes to the old folks' home? I mean, so what I'm getting at is if you give people a reason to be proud of who they are, because you're doing something for what they get. You change the psychology in their head. And that goes back to everything we've been talking about now for almost 45 minutes, you change the psychology of people, you change the psychology of the country, and that changes the trajectory of people. And now back to Emily's catch of why, why change? You give people reasons to be proudful again, and they will. The problem is we give people the opportunity to be naysayers and whine and bitch and complain about everything in the universe. Yeah, you, know, you tell me one more time, I'm not going to forget you, Flint, Michigan. We're going to fix your water. And four years later, you haven't done a damn thing. Shame on you and everyone that was standing next to you. See, we are gullible, dumb people that buy these sound bites from business people, civic people, political leaders, from actors and actresses, and get all emotionally pulled into their window, but no one ever shows up to do the work. And that's the problem. 29% of Americans, according to Gallup, actually do anything in this country. 56% of Americans go through the motions, whichever way they're influenced. And 15% are nothing but naysayers and criticizers. Those are horrific freaking numbers. And we're still the best country on the planet.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's amazing. I love it. It's, it's, it's that solution driven mindset. It's that resilience where we focus on here. It's heavily like, okay, what is the adversity you're experiencing? So COVID has definitely caused changes to our situation, but, 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 do we get into our emotions? No, actually everything that we have experienced during something that is hard or difficult is an opportunity. And you just rattled off about 16 things within, you know, within 30 seconds of all the things we could be doing. So instead of watching the news and and allowing ourselves to have this helpless mentality or waiting for somebody else to do it or feel sorry for ourselves or get all in our heads, we could actually be spending that time improving our communities, connecting with people we've never met. Even in a time of social isolation, we could be actually uh, growing from that into increased connectedness, increased growth, increased impact, creating that legacy that you're talking about. And that's what I love talking with successful people like you uh, who are Whose words are followed up by actions. They're not just sound bites. They're actually things that are being done. They're people taking action. You're helping organizations succeed. You're helping your clients succeed. In, one, in that one minute, you took a, a global challenge, a pandemic, something that has not happened for I don't know how long, and you have, have thrown out multiple solutions for people to have positive impacts, create legacies, improve their communities, and stay connected. That's the type of mentality that gets things done. That's uh, what Get Up Nation is all about so that people can get up from that adversity, whatever it is, to get up to keep going and get after creating that legacy of positive impact. And In fact, um, there was a question here, it says, um, you know, as, as you know, my audience is global. We're committed to being resilient people who face adversity head on. We learn from it. We grow from it and go on to create legacies of profound, positive impact. So I appreciate you sharing that because you are just giving a, a dose of adrenaline to people who are facing some serious, serious challenges and focusing them on finding solutions, on creating that positive impact and getting out from the place that says, woe is me or this hurts or I'm the only one on the planet this has happened to. You know that is the, the which are all lies and falsehoods and if we buy it and eat that then we'll be in those statistics that you talked about but if you really want to be successful if you really want to have a life that is full and rich and overflowing with positive interactions with people with accomplishments with achievements with respect with uh, a sense of satisfaction they we, we need to take your advice
1: absolutely again There's a concept called parallel universe, parallel universe suggests that whatever you're thinking or doing now, someone else is as well. And the real, the real secret to success is, you know, execution, who might be able to execute it more efficiently or effectively than the other person. So we all have to be recognizing parallel universe, any problems or challenges you're having, you're not in a universe by yourself. Someone else is having the same thing and if not worse, some people may be better. So one of the ways I look at success is I take that concept of parallel universe and I've added to it and I call it historical. Parallel universe because anything you're thinking of doing right now, maybe no one else is thinking or doing it But if you really want to be successful, don't be arrogant or naive enough to think you are the only person to have ever thought about this Historically, if you look backwards, someone else probably did a variation of it sometime in history And if you can find it see it and study it It'll give you a way to refine what you're about to do and you'll launch it with even more energy one of the things you said and greater success into the marketplace And I found that more times than not, that what I think are the solutions right now, because no one's saying it, seeing it, or doing it, many times are not. Well, I think I'm just a freaking genius. My ego gets popped real quickly, because then it's like, you know, two seconds later, I find out, wait a minute, this is from the 1950s or, you know, 100 years ago. But we forget those things because we stopped teaching education. One of the biggest disservices the United States has allowed to have perpetuated and perpetrated on it was in the 1980s, all of the national K 12 educational associations someone at that time leading them unwittingly led almost every teacher in America off the cliff because what they said was we want to readjust how we educate k-12 and do it in a way across our society so that in the future we could have a perfectly ignorant mass population in America and so what they started doing so listeners watch this and check the list so in the 1960s and 70s it was a norm k-12 everywhere Every child in K-12, boys and girls, they experience gym in K-1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, and music class in K-1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, and art class in K-1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, and automotive shop class in K-1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6 and home ec and sewing in K-1, two, three, five, six. The boys took those classes, some of them, and the girls took the others. You at least had to take one of them, so you were more well-rounded. You took a foreign language for at least one or two years to get through middle school or junior high school. And then in, in high school, then you could double down in certain areas in athletics. Was that your experience growing up? Yeah. Yes, absolutely. And so what started happening then into the 80s was they started allowing one of those to be taken away because people didn't want to pay for it or they didn't have enough tax money. Or someone stupidly said, well, you know, we have to have the same number of sports for girls as boys. So that takes the money out. So we can't do each other thing. And it's like, wait a second. If you only have six guys who want to do wrestling, you don't have a freaking wrestling team. If you only have seven girls who want to do volleyball, you don't have a volleyball team. It's not gender bias or sexist. If you don't have enough to fill the team, why are you paying for something you can't do? See, we started making decisions because we we're forced into the wrong way of looking at diversity. I am huge at saying, and if you follow me on social media, you know that I'm always fact-based. I, I, I seldom go rhetoric. I seldom go about what's going on in trends in the society. But Monday is always about sales ideas. Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday is about self-ideas. So I've got sales mastery ideas on Monday, personal mastery on Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and leadership mastery on, in essence, Friday. So if you're not, for example, let's get LinkedIn on LinkedIn. If you're, if you're watching this we're not, connect with me, and you'll get, in essence, access to those videos, audios, articles, and posts. But I say that to come back to, in essence, we have to start looking at fact-based. And then what happened? We took those things away. Then we, in essence, started allowing teachers to not be supervised. I remember as a little kid, there'll be every once in a while, there would be the principal would come in and sit in the back of the room and they were basically the supervisor for that teacher to make sure they actually were teaching and engaging and being effective and seldom do you ever see in essence any supervisors now with teachers. So the teacher started to go rogue. If my political views are far right wing or my political views are far left wing, either one doesn't matter. You can have your views, but those should not shape how you teach. And then we started taking out of textbooks, fact-based information, and then someone one day really got the idiotic idea, oh, wow, we should take down statues of the Civil War. I'm not advocating either side, folks, so pay attention. Don't blow your head up and get messed up on me. But once you start taking down statues, reference points, that celebrate one side or the other, you were able to remove a chunk of what history is, so now you replace it with what you want history to be. If you don't agree with that statue, it should be there twice as big. So it's there's an educational reminder. How did that come to be? If that statue we love, it should be twice as big. So how did it come to be? When you start taking away balanced education and factoids, you get to where we are today, which is we've got a lot of good people. I'm patting my heart. We've got a lot of good people. But they are functionally illiterate in society today because they don't know what a fact is. And they really believe whoever's talking is telling them the truth and they're getting accelerated down the wrong lane. And so, again, back to your question. Stand-up nation only works. If you stand it based upon a fact. And what we allow to happen is we passively sit by and we allow people to be elected to our Congress. That if you listen to their views and you have a copy of the Constitution in this hand, listen to what they say. Their comments are absolutely polar opposite of this. How is it we allow them to stay there and get that paycheck from you and I? We hire employees that our company has values, our company has a mission statement, our company has a vision statement, and we do a crappy job interviewing someone and we then hire them and their belief system, back to Emily's statement of identity purpose, purpose. We hire people that their purpose is contradictory to our business, our associations, our nonprofits. And then once they get in there, because no one knows how to get rid of them, they become a cancer. They start eating away all these great things. It's sad that we allow that stuff to happen. But it can change i love get up nation get up nation stand up nation if you want to get up quit feeling sorry for yourself and don't be mean to the other person you don't need to be a bully just engage them in civil discourse to say ben I'm, it's not i don't i'm not trying to say i don't like you but help me to understand why you have that view it just is no ben don't get mad give me the facts why are you saying that see we yeah. don't ever hold anyone politely accountable you just said something that i think is is mean or rude or wrong or dumb or ignorant so you know, again, back it up. I love the old saying, put up or shut up. No one ever holds these people accountable. I mean, again, I love the adage, give someone enough rope and yeah, they'll hang themselves. But also if I give you enough rope, I can pull you to safety with that same rope. So uh, you've got to be optimistic in in tough times and diversity times. I talk about diversity is your strategic advantage. Diversity is your strategic advantage. If I look at diversity as a disadvantage, you know, I didn't choose to be white. You didn't choose to be white, but what does white mean? You didn't choose to be black. I didn't choose to be black. What's black mean? We use a lot of these labels without understanding what the heck they mean. And if you're using labels as a way to categorize someone for negative output, then then you're just, you're inferior. You're wrong. You're losing it. Successful businesses embrace diversity, but you do not embrace diversity from a compliance standpoint, so you can check the boxes and make someone happy. I got five of these, six of these, two of these, and one of those. Whatever that means. Again, I go to a donut shop. There's donuts I love, so I'm not going to get a mixed dozen, baker's choice, if there's three of them in there I don't like. I'm sorry, I don't eat those. I'm not going to consume those. they sort serve no value. So you got to be careful about this word diversity that's taking over the planet. And again, some people are hiding behind it. Yesterday, I had a person send me an email and, and blow me up because I wasn't diverse enough in a certain category. And I said, you're absolutely right. And, and it bothers me greatly what you pointed out. I'm not going to fight you at all. So let me turn it around. Help me to be a solution with what you pointed out. Give me, and I, and I said to the person, just give me two answers to what you've identified as a problem. Give me two. If you can give me two, let's work together and to fix those. But my experience is when people point out the negative and I ask them to help me to solve it. They flake out and never respond back. I actually typed that to the person. And what's interesting, they have not written back. Boom, (laughs) I rest my case. It's easy to bitch, hard to fix.
0: That's right. That's right. Excellent. Um, Doctor, I always end the show with six quick questions to help my listeners understand the why within my phenomenal guests. Will you run through these six quick questions with me?
1: Let's do it. Thank you very much.
0: All right. Who are you thankful for today?
1: It's singular is you're asking. I have to give plural. Number one, I'm thankful for myself. And here's my point. If people listen, I'm thankful for myself because that's the first and only person you should be immediately thankful for because whatever you believe in a higher power, your creator, et cetera, they have blessed you and given you you for the planet. So what are you doing with you to make you and thus the beneficiaries of everyone you come into contact with today better? So I'm thankful that I am here so that I have another day to experience what greatness can be and the challenges in front of me I get to work through. Second, which is probably where you wanted me to go, which is who am I thankful for? I'm thankful for anyone that gives me the opportunity to be better. My parents, people that have come, Mrs. Murphy, my first grade teacher. You've all heard of Murphy's Law. That's where it comes from, my first grade teacher. I spent two years with her in first grade. She was a little bit slow. It took me a while to get her fixed and, and understand things. But once I realized in high school I failed first grade and they did it in a grade, I'm, I'm thankful for lots of people. I'm thankful that, you know, we, we live in a great world, a great economy. I have, I have people globally that I connect and work with and talk with all the time on the internet and, and live in person. That question could go forever.
0: Sure. All right. And Now that we've covered who you're thankful for today, what are you thankful for
1: today? Same thing, life. Uh, a good friend of mine um, that speaks and does a lot of uh, motivational speaking and people know of, and he's been around for a long time. You know, Les Brown always talks about, you know, gift and present, and you've been given the gift and the present of today, and what do you do to celebrate that gift and share it with others? So, you know, I'm, I'm thankful for lots of things, but I'm really probably most thankful that I finally have been given the opportunity to do what I love best. And as my business card has said for many, many years, human capital developer, I get to help people to develop themselves. I get to work with a phenomenal group of clients and great C-suite executives and businesses from, from Illinois to California, to Wisconsin, to West Virginia, to, you know, to Michigan, to Wisconsin, I mean all over the place of, of, of organizations that give me a chance to help them and their teams to be better. That's what I'm thankful for. Excellent. How do you fuel the fire within you? believe in yourself and only do the things you're great at i have learned a long time ago again look at successful people you know let me just grab you know magazines as an example so if i look at my magazine from harvey mckay to you know connor fields Olympic gold medalists to you know john maxwell to again military i mean the the names are endless the last three presidents written for me first ladies world leaders um, again I think you always benchmark off of excellence and if you get a chance to know what excellence is, you'll recognize people that are excellent at what they do live in their space. They do what they're best at doing and that's their gift. They're always looking for new ways and places to leverage and apply their greatness. And so what fuels me is that I get a chance to get up every day and do what I love doing and working with phenomenal people. And I have the opportunity to not have to work with people that don't want to be around me, just like they don't have to be around me, but I also have the luxury that when I run into people that just don't don't get what success is I don't have to suck it up and stay with them I can say you know what I love you appreciate it you're choosing to go down the wrong path and you know boom! I'm gonna go find another client so that's I. what fuels me as I do what I love to do excellent
0: what is one thing adversity taught you to value
1: get over it and what are you doing today you may have never thought you could stand and talk to strangers walk out on a stage in front of people I don't know be uh, an introvert living in an extrovert world. Be able to believe in myself and, and be you know your own machine. I was a solo practitioner in a space, you know, 20 some plus years ago. I grew a company from 12 to 144 employees, $117 million training company. I was a partner in and um, sold my piece out of that. And I'm now down to basically as You know, small firm doing what I've done for years. I mean, what I've done hasn't changed. It's evolved and grown and gotten better, gotten more clarity. Some of the things I used to do on the side, I don't do and I stay very focused. So, um, great question.
0: All right. And what will you do tomorrow that you may have never thought you could?
1: I don't know because I don't know what tomorrow holds for me and tomorrow's not here. Um, So, I would answer it from... Tomorrow is going to push me to do more of what I am doing, which is before this pandemic. At the time we're recording this, in case someone's watching this years in ahead, everything Ben and I have talked about applies to you, no matter what day you watch this. Whether it's you know 2020, whether it is you know you know 2030. Uh, but within that, what I was doing before the pandemic was I had a lot of digital product. I have a lot of leadership webinars and courses and self-study formats um, on platforms with companies, and I have a lot of sales. Uh, webinars and content on self-development platforms. I do a lot of work with CPAs, EAs, and attorneys. In that industry, as an example, you have to get 40 continuing credit hours every year to keep your license to be street legal. And I have hundreds and hundreds of hours worth of 50-minute workshops online. And so when this happened, I was already prepared for the digital delivery stream. So I was able to make that trajectory change. Clients that I would be going live and doing a you know one-day leadership workshop with the executive team or leaders, uh, live, I've been able to pivot and do it over the internet and do it in four-hour modified web modules and have a great experience and great testimonials from them. So tomorrow probably is going to hold a little bit more of that and that is becoming more efficient and effective at virtual deliveries and having more Zoom calls and engaging people to help them where they are because that's our new reality for at least a temporary time.
0: Absolutely. Doctor, uh, how can people learn more about you and your amazing work?
1: Uh, Too kind. I appreciate it. So one, my name's on the screen. So that's how you can look me up on the internet. So JeffreyMcGee.com, J-E-F-F-R-E-Y-M-A-G-E. JeffreyMcGee.com. That'll take you to my training and development platform and company. That's uh, what primarily occupies the majority of my time in life. There's books, there's audios under resources. There are some public programs I do do here in Las Vegas once a quarter. Um, There's online programs and there's programs I can bring into your business. The second way they can learn is the magazine. So it's called Professional PerformanceMagazine.com. So ProfessionalPerformanceMagazine.com. Uh, you can go there and see uh, any of the past issues for the last many, many years are archived up there. You can download digitals, you can buy hard copies if you want. So that's the two ways to learn more about me. And uh, for your viewers that are subscribed into your podcast, um, we are providing back to Ben as a thank you for all of you. The last couple of uh, magazine issues as digitals. So he'll put those out there for you as well. So there's several ways we can learn more about it. Uh, again if you're if you're looking to become more effective at business go to my website a lot of tools sales a lot of tools and personal development a lot of tools thank awesome. you for asking
0: awesome absolutely dr thank you so much for today we'll be in touch and I can't wait to unleash this on get up nation
1: I love it thank you so much Ben and for any of the viewers anything I can do to help you uh, just reach out on my website uh, as soon as you bring up my website bottom right corner there's a contact me and uh, send me a message More than happy to you know, visit with you it doesn't cost a talk.